From the Radio Rampa Studios, which are the Nada Foodie Studios in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Nada Foodie Radio Show. I am Tom Miali, and with me, as always, is my host. Hey, it's Mike Maranti. And we are the Nada Foodie Radio Show. We are at Nada Foodie Show on Instagram, at Nada Foodie Show on Twitter. And we've got a great show for you today. Thanks for listening. Today, we've got a special guest. We've got Ari Botsford. Uh, who is an urban gardener, and she talks a lot about uh, bringing up or her bringing up as a farmer and uh, how that has affected her view on food quality in, later on in life. Um, we talk about pasta, which is always a popular segment. It's our favorite. And you know what? We've got listener mail for the first time. Inaugural. Uh, inaugural. Inaugural listener mail segment. So that's all coming up on the Nada Foodie Show. But let's get started with the food news of the week. Yeah, Mike, Mike. I have a great one. Oh, you do? Yeah. All right, so what, what is your food news story of the week? It's about a little Italian restaurant in the Upper East Side. Uh-huh. Uh, a lady went there to dine alone. She asked to eat at the bar. Uh-huh. They told her, sorry, you can only eat at a table. I think all the tables were full at that point, but regardless, there was a man sitting there eating at the bar. So, oh, uh, yeah, this story got a lot of press yeah. because they're, yeah, they were just discouraging people from eating alone at the bar, yeah. and they were... Uh, you know, all of these, there's a lot to this story. It's not just like a, um, it's not just a. It's not a black and white thing. Yeah, no, there's but, a lot to it. But so essentially they're saying that they're getting a lot of sex workers come in to try and solicit their customers. Yes. But I've been, I've managed restaurants where sex workers come in to try and solicit customers. And they're not um, like rowdy. They're not they're, from everything I've experienced from like the type of places I've been at, which is the similar type of restaurant that this place is. Um, they they bring business to the bar and they don't cause a scene and they're patrons well, and, of the bar. And usually they're not. First of all, they're uh, dressed well. First of all, who cares if they're sitting down and having you know a meal? Like mm-hmm. you can't just make that judgment right then and there. Oh, it's hundred percent sexist. Yeah. And that's that's I think where where this all this story took on yeah. a much deeper meaning than you know someone eating alone at the bar in, a, in an Italian restaurant. Yeah, it's it's been a it's it's been all over the place. This story I've seen this on you know on Twitter coming from you know from different groups, different ad advocacy groups, and um, it's become a little bit of a storm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. No, that that's a bad look for Nello. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, my, my food story is a little bit more uplifting. Good. <laughs> my food story, I think, was it a couple of weeks ago we did a, a food story where, where mine was really depressing and yours was uplifting? So now, you know, mine is about the little dumpling that could. Oh. <laughs> mine is about um, the short film Bao. Uh-huh, the um, Pixar short film. Which is a Pixar short film. I think it was in front of uh, Incredibles 2. And it was nominated for an Oscar. Um, so have you seen this? Film? No, but I I read about it and I know the whole gist of it. It's a and not to spoil anything for anyone. This is a, this is a for me a, like a perfect little short film. Uh, it talks about food. It talks about family. It talks about 
multiculturalism and, you know, multi-generational issues and, you know, how immigrants are, it, the older generation of immigrants think differently than the younger generation. And I think that for a film that's got to be, what, five or six minutes long? I have no idea. It may be eight minutes long. It is like just this perfect little tale of food and culture and everything. It was all over Twitter when it came out. There were pieces being written. I, I've Pieces being wrote? Written? Written? Written, written is yeah. good. I, I, re- I learned about it because I read articles about the short film. I couldn't find it on YouTube and I wasn't going to go like pirate it. And right. I didn't go see The Incredibles, so I haven't seen it. Well, now I'm sure you can see it for I'm sure it's free. on YouTube. Um, it has to be. Yeah, on YouTube. You know, Disney's probably, now that it's been nominated mm-hmm. for an Academy Award. Um, but it really, I, I mean, I loved it. And my kids are, my kids are dumpling crazy. And so I showed them the trailer before Incredibles 2 came out. And, you know, the, there was I a trailer the, for a short there film. There was a trailer for a short film. And they went crazy. And they were, they've been so psyched to see Incredibles 2 for years. Since they they weren't even alive when the first no, one came out. No, but it's, you know, we watch it on, you know, on DVR and Apple TV or whatever. Like, it's one of their favorite movies. By the way, it is probably the darkest of the Disney movies. Uh, Up Incredibles. is pretty rough. The no, beginning the beginning of Up is just, it's, it's hard and sad. This is a little dark. Like, I think it's, yeah. you know, Incredibles 2. I, um, I haven't seen or it. Or Incredibles 1, I should say, has like, you know, there's there's a lot to it. There's, yeah. you know, you don't usually see people dying in Disney movies I, unless it's Bambi's mother or Dumbo's mother or so, Matricide. Someone said uh, the Incredibles is the only good Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's that's a good one. Um, but Bao is awesome. Bao is just one of these, like, it's this perfect little movie and I don't understand the controversy there's controversy like people some people hate it some people are saying well if you're not Chinese from Chinese immigrants you're not going to understand it I just think absurd it's it really I mean it's perfect I I have one other piece of food news yes Mike Messina got nominated into the Hall of Fame and Mariano Rivera was the first ever unanimous Hall of Fame how is that food news it's just very important (laughs) (laughs) and I had to get it in of course you did (laughs) Let's talk about uh, <laughs> let's talk about the food at Yankee Stadium and how that has nothing to do with Mariano Rivera's <laughs> legacy. Oh, but this I, is a this is a food and food culture. What what can we talk about that's related to Mike Mussina and and Mariano Mariano Rivera? That's food related. We it, we can't. It doesn't have to. There's be. Some, no, it does. Some things transcend food, and that's the Hall of Fame, Tom. <laughs> Mike is like, I've got a microphone and a studio and, and some, an time, audience. some time on AM radio. I am going to talk about the Yankees. <laughs> I'm a Mets fan. <laughs> Let's go, Mets. All right. Well, <laughs> you're listening to the Not A Foodie Show. We're going to be back in a minute. It's Tom and Mike at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram, at Timmy Alley on Instagram, and at Mike Maranti. Go Yankees. Congratulations to Mariano and to Mike Messina. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com.
If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. We are back with the Not A Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. I am Tom, and with me as always is Mike. We are the at Not A Foodie Radio Show on Instagram and Twitter and however else you want to get in touch with us. Mike, what's going on? So it's time for our weekly segment. Uh-huh. What did we cook this week? <laughs> I, I cooked a lot this week. It was you, um, you're, last weekend, I should say. Yeah, it was crazy on Instagram. <laughs> I, I put something on Instagram. Um, I made a pasta dish um, because it was a, we were supposed to get like walloped with this crazy blizzard, <laughs> which turned into nothing. Um, but I ended up buying a whole bunch of stuff to make a, like an all day cooking project. So I did a short ribs ragu um, with fresh parpadel pasta. And I put it up on uh, on Instagram and I said, I think I said, you know, what's the sense of having a radio show if you can't brag about your pasta making skills? So that's uh, that's what I made last weekend. But that it wasn't like a, a you made it. Uh, you you described the whole thing in like one minute. It was like an all day thing. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. So we the first thing we did, um, we well, my wife went out and bought a bunch of really good looking short ribs and had the butcher cut them, you know, especially so that they would be the right size um, for the braising pot. And so I could cram as many into a pot as possible. Um, And I on my Instagram story, I sort of went step by step through the whole process. And uh, we woke up early, went out and got some breakfast and then as soon as breakfast was over, like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, I started searing the short ribs. Uh, you always want to sear your short ribs before you do any sort of braising. I, if I'm going to have just plain short ribs, I'll coat them in flour. But because they're going into a sauce, I don't do that. I just really, really sear them in a, uh, in a cast iron Dutch oven. Um, so I did that. And then, uh, let's see, added some onion a whole bunch of garlic. So I took the short ribs out after I was done searing them, put them aside, and then did onion and garlic and some herbs inside. Uh, with the fond. With the fond. Mike Mike knows how much I love the fond. The fond is flavor. The fond are those little bits of flavor that get stuck to the bottom of your pan. That is awesomeness. Like people get upset about the fond being down there. Oh, it's stuck to my pan. No, that is like where your flavor is right there. So... I take the short ribs out, and in the same fat that I seared the short ribs in, I do onions, garlic. I did some thyme, some rosemary, um, and lots of oregano, and a little some chili flakes. And then to get rid of the fond, I took two and a half cups of red wine and deglazed the the pan. So stirred it all up, got all those little bits of goodness of flavor off the bottom. And that was the beginning of a base for my sauce. 
And then to that, I added a 28-ounce, I think that's the the large can, 28-ounce can of uh, San Marzano tomatoes that have some basil in them. Threw those back in there, simmered the sauce for a little bit just to make sure that it was all stirred together. Threw the short ribs back in and then threw them in the oven for, I don't know, three hours at like 275, I think it was. Slow and low. Slow and low. That is the tempo. And just kept it going. (laughs) Um, So the whole house just smelled awesome. Awesome for for the Are next few hours. Hungry? Yeah, the I'm getting hungry. Like, like Dad, when's it? I'm done? getting hungry right now just talking about it. <laughs> but there was some football going on, and uh, we were there was we were watching soccer, we were watching football, we, we were just sitting around, you know, doing nothing around the house. So it was all good. And then what type of noodle did you make? I made a uh, a parpadel. So you know what a parpadel is? Yes, I know what a parpadel. Explain is. it to the audience. What's a parpadel? It's a long, thin but wide noodle. You know why I made a parpadel? Because they're delicious. Because it's the most forgiving pasta. <laughs> and my daughter wanted to help. And she was a great help cutting the, the parpadel. And it doesn't matter if they're uh, you know long or short or if they're cut evenly or not. Um, so my daughter was helping and we gave her a little pizza roll, like a pizza cutter. Mm-hmm. And she was just rolling and cutting the, uh, the noodles out. When I was her age and younger, my job was to make the meatballs. <laughs> How big were those meatballs? I had, they were, we had like a a standard size. Like I did, I would give them and my dad would be like, no. And like give them back to me. me." We had a little bit of a meatball controversy in our house because I feel like some people felt that my family made the meatballs too big. Were they like the size of my fist? Some people make like giant meatballs. They were the size of a basketball, like the standard size that you have. (laughs) Those are standard meatballs. That's standard meatball size, right? Like a basketball. It's a three pound meatball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to have more than three of them. So. (laughs) No, I don't, I don't like um, really big meatballs. I like um, them a little bit smaller than my fist. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and, and I even think that those are too big. No, oh. so and that was sort of the size that we made, like the size of the size mm-hmm. of a smaller fist. Yeah, I I just roll them up in my palm, and that's usually. But it. I think I, as I got older and as I got more into to cooking, I started making them smaller, which is really just a pain in the butt to like to do because you know There's you have to make more, more of them. But you get more of that crust on the outside. You get more of that sear on the outside, which I think is awesome. Again, where the flavor comes from. So, um, so anyway, we made the parpadella noodles and we left the sauce, uh, out, like after the sauce was done braising, we left it outside in the cold because that's sort of like, that makes all the flavors just meld together. And it also solidifies the flat. I know, right? Like we're letting it sit out on the windowsill and, and then we brought it in, took the, skimmed the fat off the top, which was nice and congealed and frozen at that point. And then made this great sauce. Uh, that just goes perfectly with the uh, with the parpadel. What wine did you drink with it? Oh, I don't know because I had a couple cocktails before I started <laughs> drinking the wine. My wife picked out the wine. I think it was just a Chianti, if I'm not mistaken. It was just a like a standard, like maybe a Rufino or something like mm-hmm. that that I got. Um, it was good. It was it was really like I think I started. I had a, a pre cocktail cocktail while I was making the pasta, um, and then another cocktail. <laughs> and then we, we – and it was all timed for the football games that were going on. So, like, the NFC Championship, AFC Championship were, were going on. And so I, I timed it perfectly to get, like, the dinner out at halftime of the second game of the Patriots game. My wife is a Patriots fan. Ooh. But 
Uh, not boo my wife, boo the Patriots. But so so we got it all done, got it all out, and uh, and that was it. It was delicious. So yeah, it looked really good. I think pasta is made for Instagram. I I don't think that's how pasta. Pasta. Was it, I don't think that's why pasta was invented. No, but pasta is made for Instagram. Hashtag pasta is sexy is something pasta, I've been. Hashtag very, pasta is sexy. Uh, and and about. what do you say about if you take a photo of flour and eggs? Oh, it's the most Instagrammable thing ever. Yes, with the circle, everything fuzzy filter. Like people know what's coming. They know what's coming when you take that big, that big mound of flour and put like three eggs in it. They know that they there's going to be pasta coming after that. So anyway. That's what I made this weekend, and I don't think there's uh, any time for you to say what you made this weekend. It's okay. Did you go to Taco Bell? No, I made chicken korma. Oh, there you go. Well, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Did it take all day? Do no. you have cuts on your hands? No, it was, Are you, it was from you the Instapod. People? It was pretty quick. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm glad we, we wasted eight minutes talking about my pasta then. <laughs> That's it. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Radio Show. It's Mike and Tom. We will be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. We are back with the Not A Foodie Radio Show. Mike's doing a little dance to our to our comeback music. Always. <laughs> As always, it's Tom Alley and Mike Morandi. Thanks for listening to the Not A Foodie Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. So, Mike, we've got mail. <laughs> we've it's got- about time. <laughs> it's, it's about time. We've been telling people for three weeks to DM us, to email us. We are at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter. You can email us, info at notafoodie.com. We finally have some listener mail. And if you comment on photos, we'll respond too. Yeah, just just let us know. Um, so anyway, we have um, we have mail. I am not going to say who it's from because they didn't say that I should. If you want to be, if you want to shout out, just say you know shout us out. Um, so basically, it's what food books would you recommend, and what are you reading now? So I I mean I'm a reader. I've got a bunch of them. Um, but I let, let's go, Mike. What do you what what do you recommend? So. I'm going to recommend a wine book because I feel like you have a lot more food books than I would. Okay. Uh, Windows on the World Wine School by Kevin Zraeli. Uh, Windows on the World was the restaurant on top of the World Trade Center. Right. Um, And they had a crazy wine list. And Kevin Zraeli taught a wine class out of there. Uh, Kevin Zraeli is 
like the godfather of American wine uh, culture teaching. It's a wine 101 class where he goes over every major wine region. It reads like a textbook, but like a, a good college textbook with like lots mm-hmm. of little info. And it's it's not dry reading. It's really fun. Uh, they always, I think at the end of all the chapters, they recommend wines to drink that you can like drink along with so you know what they're talking about really? more. How is it? <clears throat> uh, I, I've never read the book. I mean, mm-hmm. how is it? How is it separated? Is it there, by region? By region? By region. Um, and does it? Do they talk about different, you know, price structures and you know, like here's a good cheap wine from Italy, here's a good expensive not, wine. Not or, so no. much, but it, it'll be like so. It'll break down like Burgundy into like different regions, but it's all very digestible, and it's that no pun intended that base knowledge that you need before you can really dive deep into wine. Okay, so you think this is like it's a good wine primer? Yeah. So like, and there's like little paragraphs in the sides of the book and stuff. So it's like. The 13 grapes of Chateauneuf de Pop are, bah, 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 you know? So it's just like, I, I don't, I can't tell you all 13 grapes, but I learned that there were 13 grapes from that book. <laughs> it, yes. I, I have, um, l- I'm going back to another primer of mine. Um, I, let's go back and forth. We'll go back and forth a couple of times. So my primer book. You're asking a lot for me. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my primer book um, is, I think it's, it's Ratio by Michael Ruhlman. And he, Michael Ruhlman is a food writer. He wrote a bunch of books. Um, Ratio is his book that talks about um, the secrets to cooking are really not, they're they're not mysteries. It's just finding the right ratios for certain things. There are scientific ratios to do certain things. So there's a scientific ratio of eggs to flour to make a pasta dough. There's a scientific ratio of, you know, water to blah, 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 and butter to this. And, you know, for, for pretty much any recipe that's out there. And what Ruhlman says is that if you learn these X number of basic ratios, then you can get extremely creative with whatever you want to do. So if you want to make a squid ink pasta, you throw some squid ink and you just have to account for there's going to be a little bit more liquid in that ratio and that part of the ratio. So, you know, it's things like that. It demystifies cooking, the technical side of cooking, and lets you concentrate on the the really creative part. So that is that's my sort of primer cooking book for anyone that wants to really understand cooking and get better at cooking. Ratio by Michael Roman. So do you have another one? I have a really great restaurant book that I like a lot. Okay. Uh, Front of House by Jeff Benjamin. Oh. He's a Brooklyn guy, but he uh he's partners with um oh what's the the Philly chef? Uh oh um about Budokan and uh, no? no no with a, the Italian food. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Vetri. Mark, okay. Mark Vetri. Um, and it's a like I've read uh, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. I've read Restaurant Man by Joe Bastianich, Kitchen Confidential. But I think this is the best front of house book if that's what you're interested and in. And what is it called? Front of House. <laughs> and the Front of House, blah, 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 blah. But Front of House by Jeff Benjamin. Um, I read it. That's another book that I like really absorbed in like two or three sittings. It's really, really good. Cool. I have. I have two cookbooks that I'm um, constantly going back to right now as resources. Um, number one is a gift that somebody in this room gave me. Yeah. So Merry it's the, Christmas. Thank you. It's the um, the Noma Guide to Fermentation. So it's basically a fermentation cookbook, and it's it, awesome. It's Go probably anything. the hottest cookbook right now. It's the I mean, it's up there. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. So like everything from ferment. I've been getting into uh, fermented hot sauces recently, and you know, so fermented hot sauces, everything from 
like making beers and kombuchas to like fermenting vegetables and even fermenting meats and things like that. So that's a book that I go to as a reference all the time. Also, I am for like the past year, at least once a week, I go back to the um, State Bird Provisions cookbook. State Bird Provisions is a restaurant in California and they have just amazing recipes. Um, Everything from, we talked about the everything spice mm-hmm. <laughs> that I make. That's from the State Bird Provisions cookbook. Kimchi stews, um, pork belly, ribs, just everything from that cookbook. So those are my two cookbooks that I'm reading right now. Nice. So you got anything else? Not really. No? I have a book in front of me that I got for, um, for, for Christmas for my wife. It was a little stocking stuffer. And I really love this book. It's called Shots, Food, and Drink Miscellany. And it's basically just little, like, quotations. I'm showing Mike um, in the room. <laughs> but it's got, it's got a bunch of little pieces of information on every page. So, like, on this random page that I opened up to, it has um, a quote by Madame Lily Bollinger. Bollinger? The champagne person? Bollinger. Bollinger. And it says, on when to drink champagne. I drink it when I am happy and when I am sad. Sometimes I drink it when I am alone. When I have company, I consider it obligatory. I trifle with it if I am not hungry and drink it when I am. Otherwise, I never touch it unless I'm thirsty. (laughs) And then on that same page, it's got the typical curry powder formulation ratio, and it gives you the ingredients for curry powder. So it's just this weird sort of, I I mean, it's got a body mass index chart. It's just this weird book about food and drink and, like, fun little quotes. And it's something that I keep in my backpack and I, like, whip it out in the subway and, you know, read it every once in a while. So that's that's what I'm reading right now. It's called Shots, Food, and Drink Miscellany. That actually sounds like a really good book to, like, just learn a bunch of random things. It's It's so weird. I'll just open it up to, like, any weird page and... You know, it gives you uh, famous quotes, famous t- toasts, um, talking about the where ambrosia came from, <laughs> like just the little gods, weird things like that. Yes, um, but it's it's a great little book. But so, thank you um, for for DMing us. Thanks for emailing us. If you want to, uh, if you have any questions, if you want anything, that, if you have any shout outs, anything that you want to say, you can reach us at at not a foodie show. On Instagram and Twitter, I am at T-M-I-A-L-E, T-M-I-A-L-E, and you are? At Mike Maranti, M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-T-I. So reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We need to feel the love. We, we, we like doing these. We do. That's awesome. Also, it's less that we have to think of, less segments that we have to think of for ourselves if you guys uh, start sending in questions. If you send enough in, you could get a producer credit here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sending us your uh, your questions. This is the Not A Foodie Radio Show, 6.20 a.m., Radio Rampa. We'll be back with our special guest right after this. Bye. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. 
Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. It's As always, it's Mike and Tom and 620 AM Radio Rampa. Joining- not a foodie radio show. <laughs> <laughs> joining us today is a very good friend of mine, a very, very talented friend of mine, Miss Ari Botsford. Hey, Ari. Hi. So Ari is a urban gardener extraordinaire, jack of all trades, uh, just a boss. Wow. <laughs> I want to hear about that. <laughs> so Mike and I have been talking about this quite a bit, that um, we we talk about a lot of food, we talk about a lot of restaurants, we don't talk a lot about um, food production and where food comes from. And, you know, farm to table is such a gigantic marketing term. And I think people lose sight of what it actually people means. People eyes at it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, honestly, one of my pet peeves is at that phrase. I feel like every restaurant should be farm to table. I know it's not what we yeah, how I we completely were brought agree up. With you. In, in college, I wrote a paper about spas and they do a farm to massage table. What? Yeah. <laughs> On God. Yeah. I, I don't even want to get into that right now. That's a whole nother level of this <laughs> podcast or radio show. <laughs> so, so Ari, tell us about about who you are and what you do, what you where you come from. Yeah. Oh gosh. I don't, where do I start? Um well, uh, I do consulting now for food businesses, but I used to be a lowly line cook. Ah, I, th- I mean that's a that's a theme with this show. I feel like everybody started out as a, or most people Three started out of four out. now. Yeah, seventy five percent of our the guests. Bottom, now I'm here. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, but you even before that, you were very heavily involved in in farming, right, or agriculture. I, was. Or... I grew up on a farm in the Ozarks. Oh. Um, my parents raised cattle, uh, everything but pigs. And that's how I grew to become such a gosh darn snob about meat and produce. Um, and that stuck with me to that's today. That's great. So how, what made you come to New York? My family's from New York. Oh, so your family's yeah. not from the Ozarks. Ari grew up in St. Louis, but she's a diehard Mets fan. Really? The Ozarks. The Ozarks so, is a little bit further down towards Arkansas. Are y'all watching True Detective? That takes place uh, yeah. where I grew up. Okay. Okay. So, Great. Whoa. Effing scary. <laughs> we'll beep that out. Don't okay. Worry <laughs> it's freaking scary down there. <laughs> but there's a lot of really good production. It is the breadbasket of America. Um, That's, well, I mean, first of all, I'm there. You have one strike against you because you didn't raise pigs, and that is like my favorite. Only been in the eating world. them for five years. <laughs> but you're a Mets fan, so we're my gonna we're gonna Queens, let it slide. White there Stone. we go, Queens. All right. So so you grew up on farms. You grew up raising cattle, lamb, you know, beef, lamb. I was a cowgirl. Um, produce, yeah. um, everything like that. And then you moved to New York. You started working in restaurants in New York. So I actually was at SUNY Purchase and their screenwriting program of all <laughs> things. Um, and I have a degree in sociology. But like most 20-somethings, I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I went to culinary school. And that's where I discovered that I loved what had been in my life for years all along. So 
you love the cooking, you love being around food and, food, yeah. and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's great. And so you have, in in the past, you've worked in restaurants, but you've also taken your past as an urban gardener and brought that into you know, various businesses. You, I heard something about the Soho Grand. I did. Uh, I ran their rooftop vegetable garden on oh. the 18th floor of the so, hotel. It was amazing. So do they use their, like, whatever's grown up there, they use it in their uh, restaurants? Did you get or? to pick what you were, did the chef ask you to grow things, or did you just grow certain things? They're like, here you go, have fun with this. So I'm, I'm lucky enough that the chef and I developed a close enough friendship that he trusted me enough, but he was like, grow me the stuff I can't get anywhere else. So I did. I started. So like specialized produce, yeah. heirloom produce, things like that? Everything like that. Crazy berries, crazy fruits, crazy tomatoes, every color of carrot, all of those things. And he would use them in these beautiful tasting dinners on the roof. And it was, I can't tell you how fulfilling it is to see food you've grown used in such a beautiful manner. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't I even that. imagine. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I... I I started getting with my CSA a few years ago purple carrots, and my mind was blown because I'm used to just you know that carrots are orange. So and yeah, but but getting those and and winter carrots, carrots you know vegetables grown at different times of year taste yeah. different. Or they that are that look different taste different. It's mm-hmm. it's it's sort of amazing, and people don't realize um, what diversity there is in produce. Well, Absolutely, and the weather also plays a big part too. Two years ago, it was a good plant. It was a good year for eggplants. Last year, it was a really was, good year for root vegetables. 2017 really? was a good vintage for root vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have some in your root cellar, like waiting for a special occasion? But um, Kat, what's her name? Kat Kinsman? Yeah. She she did a- I, I am familiar with yeah, her. Yeah, <laughs> she did an article where she ate 52 different oranges and she ranked them. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Recently, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Kat Kinsman is awesome. She's the new- She's got a promotion, yeah. Food and Wine, I think? Yeah. Uh, or something at Food and Wine. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. No, I know. There's there's so many different varieties of everything, and and I love it. So, what is the what is 2019 the year of? Do you think? I think considering how warm this winter has been and how moist it's been, I think it's going to be a really good year for fruit and berries. Really? So do global warming equals better berries? We're bullish. Does <laughs> it does? You know, the drought a couple of years ago in California, chefs were amazed at how flavorful the stone fruit they were getting was because mm. it was getting less water, more sunlight, more dryness, and a more concentrated flavor. And since then, and since reading that, I've always been so fascinated with the effect that weather has on stuff. We had a really rainy summer, I think 2015, 2014. Nothing tasted good. It all tasted very watery. Yeah. So those things really do place a big impact on our food system. Terroir. Yeah. Terroir. <laughs> the terroir, the terroir of raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, I could talk about produce for a while, but let's talk about pasture-raised meats. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, heck like, yeah. I'm, I, you know, not, no offense to any vegetarians out there, but this is a carnivore show. Um, oh, this is an omnivore yes, show. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, um, so what, when you were on your, on your farm or on your ranch, what was it? Was it a farm? Was it a ranch? What is it in the Ozarks? Uh, what do you call it? I, I've always used those two interchangeably. Sure. I think that ranch just denotes that it's like more livestock based than yeah. like produce based. Um, I also worked at Fleischer's in Park Slope when the apple oh. stones were still there. So OG, legit. Yeah. Like, so can you explain to our listeners who might not have heard of Fleischer's? Like what, sure. What's so Fleischer's? Fleischer's is credited with starting the Rockstar Butcher 
movement. They're the ones mm-hmm. who trained all of the rock star butchers you know, like Tom Milan, who founded the Meat Hook, yep. uh, as well as uh, the guys behind uh, Dixon's Farm Stand. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're OG. Yeah, no, they really it, are. And, and you had the opportunity to work there. And... I did, and I got to work very closely with the Apple Stones, who they're they're brilliant. Yeah. They're absolutely brilliant in the way that they care about the way that their food is raised was so important to me when I was working for them, and I loved that. It's one of those things where you can you can taste the difference in something that is that when there's care oh, yeah. that goes into raising something. An animal, there you can taste the difference. I mean, Mike. That's why Kobe beef is so expensive. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, but even it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be that. It oh has no. To be like you know, when Mike came um, to my house over the summer, and we went to a local farm and got some pork. And mm. I, was, I, I mean, I was concerned that the pork was too fatty for my non-fat eating friends. And the fat went like, you know, I'm snapping my fingers into the mic. The snap went like, I mean, the, <laughs> the pork went like that because of the fat, because the like fat was flavor and it was just, it was melty. It was buttery and it was delicious. I mean, it was expensive because it was, you know, you get what you raised. pay for. Yeah, but you mm. do get what you pay for. And I think that we in this country are, um, we, we eat too much garbage meat (laughs) yeah we eat too much garbage meat and we also we don't eat the whole animal which causes so many problems we only want to eat the chicken breast why are we not eating the chicken heart they're freaking delicious or the tail oh my god oh the pope's hat no no the i don't know at at send we would do or they still do uh chicken tail on skewers and the the tail and the neck are two of my favorite parts do you guys Mike you do you know how the not a foodie blog got started was yeah you wanted to eat an entire pig I decided that I was not in one sitting by myself a suckling or like a huge pig Tom cooked an entire pig I I, it was 10 years ago I guess and I um, wrote this blog post uh, on not a foodie it was one of my first blog posts and it was about how in this country, we're so used to prepackaged pork chops. Like, yeah. no one knows what part of the pig a pork chop comes from. And we're so used to just cryovac this and, you know, shrink wrap that, that we don't want to eat the really, really good pieces of an animal. So I made it my journey over the course of a year that I was going to eat every single piece of a pig, like from nose good to for tail. You. Not to tell. Yep. Pork broth, by the way, like a it. revelation. Yeah. Oh Honestly. My gosh. I did not grow up eating pork, but when I worked at Fleischer's, they would give us a stipend, and I got so into pork. The bone broth. <laughs> Everyone's like, do you want to take home some beef or chicken? And I'm like, nah. <laughs> well, let's talk more let's... about pork in, uh, in, in a minute. we got to take a break. So right now, we are talking. All right. Give us, give us your information. Sure. Uh, you can reach me at, uh, at Ari Botsford on Instagram. Um, so we're talking with Ari. We're going to be back with Ari in a minute. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Radio Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. 
Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. And we are back with the Nada Foodie Show and our special guest today, Ari Botsford. Ari? Ari? Ari. 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 I'm so sorry. R-E. I know. I've done this like three times. I explained that I know a few Aries and a few Aries, and I always mix them all up. So, <laughs> but, so we talked a little bit about sort of your background on farming and raising um, sustainable pasture-raised meats and things like that. Let's talk about one of your passions, which is urban gardening, right? Yes. So I I am a little mini urban gardener, Good. Um, but I, I have a backyard. Like I'm a rarity in New York City. I have a house in Queens, so I'm not in Manhattan. Right. Um, I've got a little plot in the back, a little three by three, two three by three planters. And I grow, I stuff whatever I can just into that little peppers. space. I have one bed that is just peppers. Um, and then another bed where I've got some, like, uh, Toscano kale and some tomatoes and eggplant, things like that. That's amazing. As long as you're rotating your crops, that's so, really important. Yes, yes. But let's talk about what – I mean, I ha- I have this space. A lot of people don't. So – You don't need a lot of space to grow stuff, quite honestly. You, you don't, really right? don't. Well, and you – but you also work with a lot of community gardens for people that have no space, right? Mm, I do. I do. I work with um, a community garden down the street from me, and I'm going to be joining one that's a block away. I think there's there's more and more community gardens just popping up Over everywhere. 500 as of Whoa, last year. what? In New York City. Yes, and it was 400 in 2015. Wow. So people are very interested in it. There's a lot of city-owned places that are just – Standing empty, ready for a developer to come turn it into a condo. But there's a lot of people like me who are going out there and saying, uh, no, we're going to turn <laughs> this into a garden. We, there's too many buildings in New York City already. We can't handle any more people. We can handle more <laughs> vegetables. We, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. A lot of uh, new developments like the Irby and Staten Island are starting to build urban farms. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think there's a lot of new developments that are being proposed that have to take that into consider that are taking that into consideration Mm -hmm. that there's going to be a rooftop garden here you see more and more of that in like luxury high-rise buildings and absolutely someplace a green space where people can just eat and grow their own stuff and true i i mean there's there's got to be statistics on you know what what those sorts of community gardens do for the actual community right it improves uh improves the house values by 35 percent oh wow not to mention it is uh considered to be a huge boon to public health in terms of promoting tranquility a place to relax green spaces are very important Mm -hmm. for communities and communities don't necessarily have to be a neighborhood they can just be a block yeah, well, communities are you know who you interact with, who, exactly. who your community is, and that yeah. could be a ten block radius, or it could be just mm-hmm. a small little half of a block. Yeah, when exactly. I, when I worked at uh, in Union Square, I would just walk through the farmers market, just being around it. I literally just makes you better. Yeah, like it just it, it I it's like a phenomenon. 
Like I was just there and then just would do a lap around the farmer's market and I would just feel better. It's a yeah. dangerous place for me. I can easily drop $200 there. <laughs> <laughs> but easily. you shouldn't have to, right? You shouldn't. And that's, I think, what people don't understand is that you can have really good produce that you don't have to pay a lot of money for if you grow it yourself. Absolutely. A like, packet of seeds is anywhere from 2 to $5 and you can grow – Basically, like a sixty to a hundred dollars worth of vegetables from a seed packet, yeah. and you don't need a lot of space. Even if you just have a sunny windowsill, get yourself a window box, fill it up with some good dirt, get some radishes, get some baby lettuce seeds. Right now, the big thing with seed companies is breeding cultivars that are made for people who are urban dwellers. There's wow. even there's even pocket corn now. Pocket corn. <laughs> it grows only three feet high, and it grows in like a shallow container. Wow, you're kidding. Yeah, no. Oh, man. How, yeah. Have you tasted it? Uh, I grew some last year, actually. How's it taste? I loved it. It was that blue corn that I grew last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so it's blue little pocket corn that you can there's grow? There's a bunch. There's blue. There's one called strawberry popcorn. There's, um, my understanding is that there's a small Indian corn one, which is Indian glass gem. I don't well, that's know. not edible, yeah. right? That's just for looks. Um, you can eat it. It's not necessarily like the good eaten of like a white or a yellow cob, but I mean, I ate that blue cob raw in the garden and it was tasty. <laughs> so Mike, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to grow in your urban garden? Mike lives in, um, like, I feel like you live in a 1920s cold water flat. That's what I feel it's, like. When yeah, you like Jack Harrow. I don't have yeah. heat right now, so yes, that's correct. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you're in Harlem, yeah. which has one of the biggest concentrations of community gardens. It's in the top five. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I read that in, um, uh, what book was it? Eat New York? Have you read Eat New York? I haven't, no. Oh, it's a great book, and it talks about just the history of, of farming in these areas and yeah. how Harlem is re-embracing that, re-embracing yes. the farming. It's you are more likely to find these community gardens and neighborhoods where someone privately burned down a building for insurance money. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Oh, well, it makes sense, right? There's land and Yeah, that's how it started in the there, 70s. There's one in Forest Hills. There's a there's, few of them. Uh, at the end of Selford Street. Yep. Where I grew yes, there up. are some that aren't from like burned out buildings. No, but it's <laughs> it's my neighborhood and where Tom my hometown and where Tom lives now. Yeah, so. it's just yeah. it's like under the railroad tracks. Yeah. It's a space that you can't really yep. use for anything else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, it's it's great. There's a couple and there's across the street is a compost site as well where you can go and drop off your stuff and pick up compost. It's called the compost collective. Yes. Composting is a great habit for people to pick up if you have a local community garden, which you probably do. Unless you're living in like Midtown Manhattan, um, get in the habit of freezing your compost and start dropping it off. Like, yeah. do yeah. it. What? Do, so I am pretend I know nothing about you know vegetables, growing my own stuff. Like, what am I growing? What What's the easiest thing for me to grow? The easiest thing to grow for a first timer is radishes. Radishes. Radishes almost always will sprout. Always. Uh, And they don't take very long to grow. So it's very satisfying, especially if you're a first-time grower. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of really cool different varieties of radishes. You can grow purple radishes. You can grow uh, Indian radishes, Polish radishes, all these different kinds of radishes. And it's super satisfying. So what's the um, what's the easiest livestock for me to um, raise in my small little apartment in New York City? Human children. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's, they're not very tasty. <laughs> uh, you could do bees on your roof. Bees are now, le- beekeeping is now legalized. I'm personally very allergic to them. Creep. So I'll leave that to you. You could breed rabbits. 
I'm not breeding rabbits. You're breeding That's rabbits very Italian. Yeah, I'm not breeding, breeding rabbits. <laughs> oh, your kids will start naming them, and that'll be the end. Yes, that'll be the end of that. Then we won't <laughs> be able to eat them. Uh, but no, the, the bee, the, what, what is that, uh, an apiary? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, so the apiaries are, are popping up all over the place. We have like six or seven hives in my community garden, and she has hives actually all around the city in various places, the beekeeper for our garden. Oh, and wow. I know That's a beekeeper. Amazing. He was a NYPD guy, and he cool. w- he was the only cop that would deal with uh, bee. Uh, yeah, like we, if they were a giant. I I yeah. know that this this guy is sort of a uh, celebrity beekeeper. He would, yeah, that's he would, thing. Yeah, he would be the one who, you know, they would call whenever there was a giant hive, a wasp's mm-hmm. nest or something like that. He would be the one yeah. who would go and take care of it. And yeah. So he makes his own honey, and I lived down the block from him, so it was like the most local honey. <laughs> and how tasty is it? It is so tasty. The hives in my garden are surrounded by raspberries and mint, and almost every year it tastes like raspberries and mint yes. and the honey. It's wonderful. Terroir. <laughs> no, it's it's whatever they're going after. And like bees can taste or the honey from bees can taste completely different from within short little radiuses, like, you know, five miles. It's a completely different That's type of terroir. honey. No, I know. <laughs> well, that maraschino cherry honey yes, story. Yes. That is one of my favorite New York stories. You should look this up if you don't know this story. I won't get into too much detail, but essentially... These bees got into a maraschino cherry factory and started making red honey. Yeah, all the all the all the beehives in uh, around the maraschino cherry factory. Yeah, it was a red hook, went, I think. Yeah, yeah, red hook. Or all of a sudden, the honey was red, and yeah. people couldn't understand why. And it's because they were going and eating the dye. Yeah, the, you know, a little scary. Cherry. Yeah. Well, I always joke that. Um, my garden is, uh, if I made honey, it would be like a spicy marinara sauce because I've got a lot of <laughs> peppers and tomatoes and basil. Yum. And, you know. Yum. It would so, be very sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm, Nitrates maybe, are very sweet. Maybe I'll try that. Now you have to buy some bees. <laughs> I am not. I'm not keeping bees. Butterflies are a little bees. bit easier and cheaper. Do they make honey? They do not make honey, but they're pretty yes, and they're, they're good for pollination. <laughs> and they make more butterflies. They do. You got to plant the right. We- the thing with butterflies is that a lot of them eat specific types of um, vegetation, like uh, monarch butterflies eat. Uh, they eat milkweed. By the way, we've lost one billion monarch butterflies who account for about twenty five percent of pollination. Wow. Bats account for like ten percent, by the way. Bats do? Bats. I didn't I never thought of bats as pollen. I love bats. I love like watching bats. We've got bats in our neighborhood in Forest Hills, like it's great to see them because it's really good for the environment. I never thought of them as pollinators. They do. They do, which a lot of people don't know. Um but yeah, butterflies are great, and we've had one billion disappear over the past twenty-five years. Wow! Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of like bigger agricultural companies. Monsanto does this actually. If you're a nonprofit, they will give you fifty free plugs of milkweed if you just ask. Wow! Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's food for monarch butterflies. Oh. Well, any any last thoughts? I mean, we're we're sort of running low on time here. Of any course. any thoughts on you know what people can do to you know, help them with sustainable agriculture or gardening or anything like that? Um, Don't be afraid to try out a growing kit if you see one. Don't be afraid to look through seed catalogs, buy some seeds, trial and error. It's a cheap thrill (laughs) to buy buy seed packets. Yes. Um, And 
Try going to the farmer's market every once in a while. It's actually pretty cheap. If you don't have to spend $200. No, you don't. No, you, you don't. You don't. I'm just bananas. Um, you also don't have to go to Union Square, which is one of the more expensive. Every single neighborhood in New York has a farmer's market at least once yes. a week. No excuses, guys. Yes. Well, all right. Thanks for being with us. Thank you want to give a, a plug? What's your um, What's your Instagram? Sure. Uh, it's Ari Botsford is my Instagram. Um, you can definitely reach me there. A-R-I-B-O-T-S-F-O-R-D. Very good. Yes, Mike is sir. really good at spelling. He is. <laughs> People's names. A plus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Nada Foodie Radio Show on 620 AM Radio Rampa. We will be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Nada Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so... BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and, more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour. We are back with the Not A Foodie Show. You're listening to Radio Rampa, 620 AM. I'm Tom, and that's Mike over there. Yeah. And this is our our final segment. The past couple weeks, we've been talking about um, cocktails. What are we drinking tonight? And for the third week in a row, we have successfully gotten our guest to stay with us and join us for this segment. So, Ari. Hi. <laughs> we're going to talk about cocktails. Mike. Quick, it's a you're, you just finished a long day of recording a radio show. What are you going to drink right now? A Corpse Reviver number two. What's a Corpse Reviver number two? I know what a Corpse Reviver yeah. number two is. It's funny because no one drinks Corpse Reviver number one. I was just Reviver number two is a really – it's like the Ignition remix. <laughs> um, so, we don't talk about our yeah, Kelly anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's an ounce of gin, an ounce of uh, Coqui Americano or Lillet Blanc. They're both um, white wine aperitifs. Uh, an ounce of Cointreau, which is sort of like a fancy triple sec, some lemon juice, dash of absinthe, shaken over ice. Do you know where— Not over ice, sorry, up in a coop. Where where it came from, the Corpse I, Survivor? I think it's an English cocktail. I think it is too. I'm not sure, but I I remember being at a, a bar in London, and they only were allowed to serve us one of those. Like, you weren't allowed to have more than one, <laughs> apparently. It was some weird— I don't know. Like, I guess people were just drinking too many of them and getting but, too messed up. But it's called a corpse reviver because it's a hangover <laughs> cure. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I'll go next. I'll let you go last. All right. <laughs> um, so I, this past weekend, I had um, someone gave me one of those cocktail kits, um, those cocktails of the month kits where they send you a whole bunch of ingredients to make your cocktail. And this was like a smoky old fashioned or something like that. And I was underwhelmed by it. 
And for the past week, I've been thinking about how I could make it better. So I am going to have my version of a smoked old fashioned, but I think I'm going to do like um, a smoked um, mezcal sort of forward a mezcal old fashioned, a mezcal old fashioned. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to I'm going to smoke it with some applewood, smoke the glass, get it nice and smoky in there, and then. Make a little mezcal cocktail. Smoking gun from Breville? Yeah. Is that what you use? No, what I usually do is I've got a, um, so I've got a Searsall. You're not using a Searsall for I this. will use my Searsall. <laughs> Actually, no, what I'll do is I'll take the Searsall attachment off of my blowtorch, and, like a regular blowtorch. <laughs> I'm going to take some applewood, I'll smoke it, and then put the glasses over there, let it, you know, let the smoke sort of infuse Do you like having it. facial hair? Because it sounds oh like God. you don't. You have, uh, you know, you don't know me. Mike has seen, <laughs> you, you don't know you me. Don't know me. Mike has seen me. Mike has seen me in action with blow torches and yeah. <laughs> but you, I'm surprised you don't have a smoke gun. I, I feel like why? Why have a smoke gun when I've got a blow torch in a backyard? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's what I'm gonna have. Ari, what, what are you? Uh, you're not a drinker, right? I'm not. So what? Do you have a mocktail? What's what's I, your relaxing sort of mocktail that you're gonna have right. tonight? You guys are all gonna roll your eyes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I start out with a little bit of collagen. And I uh, will where, add... Where do you get collagen from? So all of the things I'm about to tell you, you can find them on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, really simple to find. Um, I will usually do a little bit of collagen, which is great for your hair, your nails, as well as your insides. Um, we'll also put a little bit of reishi mushroom, which is known to promote calming. It actually does mm-hmm. calm me down a little bit. Uh, some CBD oil. Okay. But CBD proper, not hemp oil. A lot of people get those two confused. Okay. Um, do a little bit of ashwagandha, which is a little bit of what? Uh, it is Indian ginseng. It's very spicy. It's like a very very spicy ginger. Okay, you can imagine mm-hmm. that. Um, turmeric, a little bit of pepper because those two make each other bioavailable, as we know, and they promote. Anti- as we know, <laughs> now we do. Now we know. Oh, well, now you do. Uh, it's actually the reason why uh, countries that eat a lot of curries have lower heart disease rates because of the curcumin. Oh. And the piperine that's in the pepper, they both make each other easier to digest. A um, little bit of full-fat coconut milk, um, cardamom, turmeric, black pepper. And so you call it a day. And what are you doing with this? You put it in a blender and just, or you just shake it up? I put it in a blender. I ice mine. Um, I'm just a weirdo that doesn't like hot drinks. I think most people like hot drinks. But I like to do kind of like a – basically like a hipster frappe. <laughs> that's good. So I think I think the, the end of this story is that Mike and I are going to be destroying our bodies tonight while you are, you know, doing something to enhance your body. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. Cool. Well, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. For hanging out for thanks the last again. section of the uh, the Not a Foodie Show. This is again Mike and Tom, the Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa. And we'll be back next week. Next week, not after this, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Follow us at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram and Twitter. And that's it. Have a good week, everybody. Those cocktails sound really good, though. Corpse Survivor is a great cocktail. I used to be a big gin drinker. Yeah, I, I think gin's the best uh, here. I think, or I should say, I think gin cocktails are the best. I'm impressed by a good gin cocktail because I don't think it's easy to make a good gin cocktail. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? 
The Not A Foodie radio show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. If you are listening to this broadcast, chances are you've toyed around with the idea of launching your own creative recording project or podcast. If so, BK Media Center is the perfect media facility for your needs. Whether you're a group of friends looking for a soundproof facility to record a podcast or a more dynamic project with live streaming up to nine cameras, the staff at BK Media Center can cater to your needs and more importantly, to your budget, also providing flexible studio schedule. Visit the website at bkmediacenter.com or call 917-300-9123 to set up a studio tour.